All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Cinemania Podcast with JB and Eddie. I'm your host, JB. Hey, and I'm your other host, Eddie. All right, so um, this is our first episode. This is going to be a podcast about movies, pro wrestling, and with a dash of sports. Um, so I guess now, I guess we'll just introduce ourselves. Uh, Eddie, why don't you kick us off with a, who are you? Okay, uh, so my name's, uh, like I said, my name's Eddie. Um, I'm just a huge wrestling fan, huge nerd. Um... I don't know what else you want me to say. I mean, you made you majored in film in college. Oh, I majored in film in college. Right, right, right. I mean, you got to lead me to this, man. Um, <laughs> I majored in film in college. Also, uh, perform uh, at the UCB theater. So hopefully, I can be funny in this. If not, that's okay. Uh, just leave some comments on a Twitter or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'm your host JB. Uh, I'm also a huge pro wrestling fan. A big nerd. Love movies. Um, and oddly enough, I am a sports writer, far from a performer, and here we are hosting a podcast. Yeah, but on. but uh, Eddie, you and I are also both very big baseball fans. That's right. So I'm we decided to take a look at the Yankee score really quick. Oh, uh, it was five two last we checked. So still five two. All right. Still five two. Yeah. By the time this podcast is over, we will report. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll check. I in. guess really the uh, fun game for you guys. Can you fi- if you could figure out what game is playing uh, by the time this comes out. Uh, then let us know uh, because by the time this comes out, this will, season will probably already be over. Or yeah, or, or, or not. Or over. No, no, this will, probably, this will probably be up, be up tomorrow or the day after. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, great. So. Cool. You'd be surprised. A lot of podcasts uh, take like a week or so, like two weeks. We got one more week till baseball's over. Yeah, week oh, and a half, roughly. I gotta focus on football, which I don't actually do. Oh, yeah, because you're, you're a Giants fan. Well, I'm also boycotting, kind of. Except <laughs> for fantasy football, which I yeah. don't get. <laughs> anyway. I mean, we're supposed to. Yeah. Uh, anyway. So, yeah. Sorry. Anyway. No, no, no. No apologies. Moving on. Um, so, we decided uh, a couple weeks back, because um, I found out Eddie has not seen a lot of movies that I think are classics, we figured we could also find an outlet to do some pro wrestling talk, uh, which we'll get to in a, in a few days. And uh, we decided for the first movie for the first movie we're going to talk about, since we're both huge baseball fans, is Field of Dreams. Yeah. Kevin Costner classic. Kevin Costner classic. 1989. Directed by Phil Alden Robinson, who... Mm-hmm. Never really did much besides this. Yeah, I think that was kind of like the tr- that was kind of like the beauty of the '80s, where you just have like directors who would just throw out one or two movies at a time, and then just you'd never hear from them again. And then you'd have like the classic. Like, I think that's why there's so many different genre, like different types of '80s movies. Yeah, that makes sense. Where you'd have like a movie like Feel of Dreams, it, it feels like it really shouldn't have been like. Um, it's just kind of like I don't really know how to describe it. It's like just kind of like a a sports movie, right? But it's classic because it's like. It, it, it's like there, there were so many different directors just popping up left and right in the 80s doing yeah. one or two things and then disappearing. So you'd had just like just so many different tastes of different cinema uh, cinema from different perspective uh, for an entire decade. And I think around the 90s is when that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, Field of Dreams, it's it's a borderline 90s, we would say. No, it, yeah, it, I'm talking like yeah. 91, 92 is when that's Right, okay. Like the rise of E.T. Now, the thing about, about, about Field of Dreams, now, keep in mind, we, we both watched this movie last night. I got three pages of notes. I just got here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... We, we practiced that joke. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> New tagline. I did X pages of notes, Eddie's just here. I, I uh, Yeah, uh, but anyway, so Field of Dreams, it is a baseball movie, but it's also so much more than that, I feel. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, uh, it's a baseball movie, but it's also very... Ah, let's see. It's a baseball movie, but it's also, like, just... I'm trying to I'm trying to think of, like, the proper words to, like, describe it. Because, not yeah, it's not just a baseball movie. It's, like, a classic, like... 
um, child trying to understand their parent type movie. It's also it, like... It's very much a coming of age movie in that. Cause yeah. Because it, it shows that even in your 30s, as Kevin Costner's Ray Kinsella is, yeah. uh, you're still growing up every day. It's also interesting to point out that it's like a fish out of water uh, movie as well. Exactly, yeah. Because yeah. I, I have right here, he's a city boy in the country because he's... He's from Brooklyn. Yeah, and ironically, his dad is a country boy who goes to the city. Yes, so it's North like, Dakota goes to New York. It's kind of a weird. It's kind of weird, and also um, there's a little bit of an aspect of uh, like kind of like like I don't know the right word for it, but like that discovery type movie. Does that make sense? Like the discovery. Discovery movie. how? Like you know when you're watching like you just, you know, just throw at E.T. right? Like you throw at E.T. right? Yeah. The discovery of every, like something new happens and it's like that feeling of like wow. Right? Yeah. Like every moment in Feel a Dream there's like another ball player or like another oh they can just travel to the 1970s now. You yeah. Know? Like like oh like oh suddenly by, we're in Chicago. Like by the by the way folks we're going to be talking about the entire movie so we're going to try the best try our best not to give away the ending but here's a spoiler not so much an alert but a spoiler warning. But also, if you're looking at the classic movie, so pretty much if you haven't seen it, for fuck's sake, go out and watch it. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's an hour forty five minutes long. It's not. It's not long. And also, you had forty years. No, no, thirty it, years. Yeah, like yeah. almost thirty years to watch this. So anyway, let's uh, let's get let's get into the movie itself. It's based off of the novel Shoeless Joe by W. P. Kinsella, which is one of my fa- one of my favorite books I've ever read. So I actually never read that book before. Okay, the book is very interesting because I actually had to read it for summer reading going into seventh grade. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, so um, it's very much... The book, it's a very loose adaptation of it because um, the character Ray in that he's a Midwestern guy. I think he's from Wyoming or Idaho. Maybe Colorado. I can't remember. I can't remember where. But he's also very much a darker figure because you got Kevin Costner who's like, oh, I'm the hippie goat from Berkeley. Yeah. Yeah, he did start off like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the book, they I don't recall them touching on that. And because because in the book in the book, Ray can tell he's a darker figure. He's very stoic. Well, when did the movie? When did the book come out? In terms of like, and then when did the movie come out? Uh, the book came out here. You know, I'm gonna get on my phone right now. The movie go. came out in the nineteen nineteen eighty nine. The book was published nineteen eighty two. Okay, I was gonna say if it was a seventies book, you're probably not gonna have the hippie because like thirty. Say he's like he's only that's only an age. Difference. So, say for example, because he's going to be like eighteen during the sixties, if his character is yeah. like thirty six in nineteen eighty eight, right? Well, well, also like the the main. Uh, but if main... it came out in the seventies, he would have been in college or in the fifties, which is just a depressing right. Time to yeah. Because um, the father son dichotomy in the book, it's it's not as present because unlike in the movie, Rain in the book, Rain his father actually have a very positive relationship, mm-hmm. um, and the the daddy issues that are in the book that are in the movie. In the book, because uh, Ray actually has a twin brother. Oh, weird. Yeah, in the book, whose name escapes me, ran away from home. Weird. Pretty much, pretty much said to his dad, "Oh, I'm 18 now. I'm gonna do what I want." Oh, Father's weird. like, uh, "Yeah, like hell, you are." There's a fist fight, and then that's it. Oh, that's the sixties, right? Yeah, and and so then um, the brother, whose whose name I can't remember, I think Phil or or whatever, he um, shows up in the book. And they're like, and there's a confrontation. Um, oddly enough, Ray, Ray has a wife named Annie, his twin brother's girlfriend is named Annie, so there's an interesting thing there. Uh, but also, um, th- and there's a whole other subplot, I'm not, I'm not gonna get into it, cause then, cause then we're gonna waste a lot more time. Yeah, and also, like, yeah. I, you're just gonna spend a lot of time just explaining to me the book, and I don't, I don't Yeah, and like, and you could, you could pick up the book anytime, it's a quick read. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the movie, and so the movie kicks off with the infamous line, which I'm gonna pull up right now. 
So just that haunting voice, like standing out in the middle of the cornfield, all of a sudden you hear that. And now, now first off, some bit of trivia, that's Ed Harris is the voice. Like yeah, that. Ed Harris of Mother fame. Oh, yeah. The that movie just came, came out. It's terrible. Really? It's really bad. I mean, I want to go see it anyway. I mean, it's it's just, just, for, just go see it. And I yeah. had people walk out of the movie theater going, wow, that was, that was, wow, I did not, wow, that was bad. <laughs> but, but, Ed, but Ed Harris, you know, we'll, yeah. see, I, I like it more for Truman Show. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm Step just saying, on. this is literally Ed Harris just had a movie like Oh, literally, okay. this is a movie that came out this week, so it's fine. Yeah. It's fine bringing it Yeah, and let's just talk about the fact that he's staying out in the cornfield, and like you said, it's sort of like a fish out or water story. Yeah. All of a sudden, the city mouse is the country mouse. Yeah. Those are my cats fighting. Sorry, folks. Um, anyway. Yeah, that was just one. So, you go from Brooklyn to Berkeley, like you're in the movie, and all of a sudden, you're in middle of nowhere, Iowa, which is a much more conservative environment. Right. So I, I feel like though during the time period that the movie, I mean that they're kind of covering during that movie, um, everyone's kind of on the same page a little bit when it comes to like the atmosphere, uh, the like the political. Oh, are you talking like conservative, like political atmosphere? Or are you talking like just just in general how it's like oh. it's like small town Midwest. Every, like everyone's kind of set in their ways. Yeah. It's, it's it's not so. It, like, we can get to the political atmosphere in a little bit because because that that's very important to another part of the story. Never mind. Sorry. Yeah, we'll talk about that. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I misconstrued your definition of. Yeah, but it's just like people don't hear things. Anyone who like if something happens out of the ordinary, it's probably their fault. Yeah, a lot of the time in this movie, it's like, you're crazy. Like, you're a crazy yeah. person. It's like, maybe you should believe in the magic of your childhood. Like, that's the entire Well, yeah, because, uh, argument. Because, I mean, I, wrote, I jotted down, maybe the voice is a side, is like the universe telling him, hey, if you want to make things right with your father, you got to do his hero right, which we'll get to in a second. Yeah. And let's just talk about the fact how you're a corn farmer in Iowa, you're plowing down a bunch of your crop just to build a baseball field, and your wife just kind of letting you do that. How irresponsible is that? Yeah, it's pretty irresponsible. Can we also just talk about... I, I do want to say this, though. Um, that... Yeah, you had one job out there, and you said, I don't want to do this job anymore, and now your family's going to starve. Like, you're kind of a jerk, Kevin Costner. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a yeah, jerk. it's just like... Jake. I mean, what, like, what would happen today? You're my kid. Like, because nobody is... I don't feel that anybody is... Like, today is that impulsive where they give up farming... Build a ball field for the hell of it, and then just kind of sit around with their thumbs with their butts. I think, however, though, that does have a little bit more to do with the fact that he is a Brooklyn guy from Berkeley, because we don't actually hear what he graduated in. So maybe he could just be like, "This is just a fuck around for me. I don't really need this farm." Yeah, like you know what I mean. Like he's like, "This is just a thing that we did like a year ago." I'll th- yeah, sure. I'll screw it. Fuck this farm. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Because the way he presents his argument to his wife is, "I heard a voice," and she's like, "Yo, not so bad, so." And then she maybe like, it was a bad acid trip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We went to Berkeley's in the Berkeley sixties, yeah. and she goes and she. He's like, I think I have to build a baseball field. First of all, where? How did he come up with that conclusion of? Yeah, because it, the voice just said, "If you build it, he will come." It could have been anything. Yeah, if you build another cornfield. Yeah, because it's it's nineteen, and also where is he getting all the assorted crap to make the baseball field? Because it's nineteen eighty nine. The internet's barely a thing. There's no YouTube. What did you, did you just go into Dick Sporting Goods and say, "Hey, how do I build a baseball field?" Oh, buy these headlights. No, he couldn't have because there was no Dick Sporting Goods. He he just he he literally pulled all of that out of his ass, and it's a, it's like the quickest montage. It's, yeah. It's like, now, now, granted, any baseball fan knows the dimensions. It's ninety feet from base to base. Sixty feet from pitcher, sixty feet six inches from from the mound to home plate. That's right. 
Um, a but, shit but ton then, of space in between outfield and bases. Yeah, not, not only that, like he just kind of arbitrarily decides these are the dimensions. It's not like Yankee Stadium where okay, you got the short porch and right field, so it's easy for lefty hitters. Let's go to Comerica Park where it's impossible to hit a home run. But Josh, what's that? Ghosts. That's kind of it. It's everything that happened in the movie. I was just like, ghosts. Yeah, now, sp- like, now we're, let's get right to the ghost because the main ghost is Shoeless Joe Jackson. Yeah, played by the fantastic Ray Liotta. Yeah, now now you made the point before we started recording how Ray Liotta is too good looking to play Shoeless Joe. Oh, yeah. If, if you, at this point, uh, people listening at home, uh, would like to go on Shoeless Joe Jackson's Wikipedia page and look up just how much of a foot this man looked like. Um, it'd be great because this man looked like a foot. You could use this guy's nose and ears to carve a roast chicken. Yeah, essentially, it was bad. Uh, it, he looked he looked bad. Yeah. Uh, he, meanwhile, he's played by Ray Liotta. Remarkably subtle performance. Not only is it subtle, this is like Ray Liotta at uh, ironically his best looking. Because every movie I've ever seen Ray Liotta in, he looks like his life is slowly falling apart, you know? <laughs> yeah, Goodfellas like especially. or, like, Smoking Aces. Like he's usually or play- Narc. Or Narc. Yeah, he always looks like something is going wrong with his life. And this one, though, it's, like, the innocence of a baby lamb. Um, I wouldn't even say it's the innocence of a baby lamb. It's, like, it's like I, I noticed in his eyes he's just got that that lingering sadness yeah, of, it's, of somebody who knew that he made a mistake. But it's also, but it's the, it's the saddest... And also, it's like, it's like the, um, like, it's not, it's not just sad, it's just like, I'm innocent of the thing that I did. Because Joe Jackson, uh, I think it's all kind of come to the conclusion that people are like, either just forgive him for, by the way, if you don't know the story, Yeah, Jackson, let, let, let's, let's, get, let's give him some context. So uh, the 1919 yeah. World Series, it's the Chicago White Sox versus the Cincinnati Reds. White Sox are the over, overwhelming favorites, but their owner at the time, Charles Comiskey, was notorious for being very cheap. So a so two uh, gangsters, Arnold Rothstein and Sleepy Bill Burns, approached eight players saying, "Hey, throw the World Series and we'll pay you this amount of money." Five thousand dollars. Oh, five thousand dollars a piece. Yeah, five thousand oh, dollars a player, and that would have been. This is uh, the fun part. I believe it's that it was double their paycheck. So yeah. baseball players back in those days were making about two thousand five hundred dollars, yeah. which I think adjusted for inflation is about one hundred twenty thousand a year. Which here's the oh no less than one hundred twenty thousand it'd probably be about a hundred thousand which means that they were also about the same amount they were also paying for their traveling they're also paying for the lodges so really they were walking out with like about a cut like yeah. they were walking out with like just barely peanuts as uh, baseball players uh, as opposed to now where baseball players are just play for one year and then never have to do anything for the rest of their life if they're really good yeah there's um, a, there's actually a really good movie about the about the Black Sox scandal going to be called it's a movie Eight Men Out. Uh, oh, yeah, I heard it. Yeah. Um, so the idea was that, uh, you know, there are these guys, they were literally, the bribe was these guys were going to be paying you to uh, the actually the amount that you should have made as a baseball player, um, really. Right. And uh, there are stories, there are a lot of conflicting stories, particularly about Julius Joe Jackson, who was implicated as one of the guys who threw the game because the White Sox did eventually throw the game, lose. Yeah, and yeah. and and uh, and uh, so fast forward to 1920. These uh, I believe it was like what summer 1920 or like summer like like late summer 1920. Yeah, yeah, a lot of these guys were implicated. I think there there are eight of them, and seven out of the eight of them were like well, one of them being shows Joe Jackson. A lot of them were like Joe had nothing to do with it because yeah. he was illiterate. 
He couldn't read. Uh, well, that that's that's not been fully proven yet. Oh, yeah, it's, well. it's kind of an urban legend, but but people say that both uh, Shoeless Joe Jackson and the third baseman Buck Weaver, yeah, both were they had nothing to do with it. They they took the money just because they needed to feed their families, but then but then Jackson tried to get money back. Yeah, and there's also stories of him uh, throwing the money on the ground. Uh, he was yeah. giving it to him, so he never even took it to begin with. But there's a lot of stories, which is beautiful. Baseball, beautiful. Yeah, basically, yeah, and and because uh, Shoeless Joe in the movie makes the point how it's kind of like finally being able to scratch that itch has been plaguing you for years. He's back on the field because just shows baseball is a passion, regardless, be it as a player or a fan. They're like, I don't, I don't feel that baseball is even one of those things that you love or you hate because there there's something in it for everybody. Yeah, I mean, baseball created a type of hat. I mean, come on. Like, yeah, you know I mean, what the, I mean? the hat that you're wearing. Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm wearing a Yankee hat, and you're gonna hear a lot of Yankee references. And if that turns you off, well. 27 World Series, so... Yeah, yeah and, and there's so... And it just go, goes to the idea of baseball magic, how... Because uh, there, there's a, a sociology professor, I think he's at Union College, named George Gamel, who, when he wasn't in school studying for his PhD, he actually was in the Tigers minor league system. Oh, weird. Yeah, yeah, he's, so he's got some stories. That's what I would um, say, baseball probably... Yeah, speaking of baseball magic, baseball's like the only sport where, like, you're kind... Like, you could either be bored or hold your breath or... Be pissed or be yeah. ecstatic uh, uh, over like everything. Like you, when you see a, uh, it could be your team could be down like two runs in the ninth inning, and then a home run happens. But like the seconds between home run and pop up is like the most beautiful thing ever. And not even that. Like even if you're bored, you find something that excites you because exactly. because my lovely fiance Kayla, who's sitting right over there, sitting very quietly. Love you, honey. Breaking the fourth wall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's, uh, one little time I break the fourth wall. She's not a sports fan by any means, but gets excited about going to a Yankee game. Yeah, hot yeah, dogs, she, man. Yeah, but then she's in, she's engaged in it. She likes the drinking. <laughs> but, yeah, but every so often she'll ask, hey, what's going on? And she actually gets into the action. Yeah. Yeah, and, and not only that, like, I, know, I noticed in this movie that there's lots of, um, that there's lots of actors who are associated with baseball movies. Because Costner, he, on top of this, he did Bull Durham. Yeah. He did for love of the game, which yeah. love or hate, it's still I think it's a decent it's a baseball movie. I mean, also, it's a baseball movie. That's just all we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, uh, but then the Timothy Busfield, who plays Mark, uh, Annie's brother, yeah. played by the great Amy Madigan. He was in that movie Little Big League, where the kid inherits the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, actually, let me look up Bradley Otis' filmography because I feel like he's in another baseball movie. No, I don't. I don't think he was. Moneyball. No, I'm kidding. He was. No, uh, it was Brad Pitt. I I know. <laughs> just I wanted to say Moneyball. Shout out to Moneyball. Shout out, Billy I, Bean. Here's how much of a dork I am, ladies and gentlemen. I tried searching for Ray Liotta on my phone, and it auto-corrected Liotta to Loot Crate. <laughs> so, ah, it's coming in a few days. Can't wait. That is pretty funny. Um, ooh. Yeah, so Feel the Dreams. No, he was in a football movie, though. Oh, he was? Yeah, who cares? It was like one of those who cares movies. Um, anyway, we'll look it up later. Uh, point is... Yeah, it's it. There's a lot of these guys do pop up a bunch, and uh, yeah. Yeah. Now, now we're gonna jump towards the second, towards the next, the second act of the movie, where he he hears this other voice ease his pain. Now, in the book, um, the character who I don't understand how they got away with doing this, J.D. Salinger of Catcher in the Rye fame is a character. In the book. Yeah, but he's not really J.D. Salinger. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's a fictionalization J.D. Salinger. Uh, pretty much, they do they do the same course of the movie, basically insist the entire time that he's not Holden Caulfield. Yes. Because uh, J.D. Salinger wrote Catch from the Rye, 
then for some reason or another li- lived out the rest of his days in middle of nowhere New Hampshire. Well, I mean, it's not any different from Cormac McCarthy, who is in middle of nowhere... Texas. Yeah, okay. Desert. <laughs> He's, like, just kicking it on the border between Texas and Mexico, just drinking cognac. Um... Anyway, we're talking about Terrence Mann, though. Terrence right? Mann, who's played by the phenomenal James Earl Jones. Darth Vader. Darth Vader. Mufasa. Thulsa um, Doom from Conan the Barbarian. Uh, Eddie Murphy's dad in... Coming to America. America. Yeah, King Joffrey Joffer. So, yeah, so we are going to probably break lots of copyright laws in doing this. I'm sorry, this is... We don't own this. This is just for the purpose of a review. We're going to play his first scene from the movie, which I think is just great. So, for the context here, he's gone from writing these great articles to, to designing software. Kevin Gosser goes to his place in Boston and just... I think it's just a really funny scene. So, anyway, here we go. Mr. Man, if I could just have one minute, please. Look, I can't tell you the secret of life, and I don't have any answers for you. I don't give interviews, and I'm no longer a public figure. I just want to be left alone. So back off. Hey, wait. Look, I've come 1,500 miles to see you at the risk of losing my home and alienating my wife. All I'm asking is one minute. Please. One minute. Okay, I understand your desire for privacy, and I wouldn't dream of intruding if this weren't extremely important. Oh, God. I don't do causes anymore. This isn't a cause. I don't need money or an endorsement. Refreshing. You once wrote... There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. Oh, my God. What? You're from the 60s. Well, you actually... Oh, hey! Back to the 60s. Wait a second. There's no place for you here in the future. Get back while you still can! They've changed. Yes, I suppose I have. How about this? Peace, love, dope. Now get the hell out of here. All right, so there you have this curmudgeon old hippie who now designs software since to be left alone is pretty much chasing this poor man out of his apartment with a with bug spray. Yeah. And it's just a very comical scene. Now, let's give some context to the character of Terrence Mann. He's basically this 1960s revolutionary, wrote some great work, and then on top of that, uh, there's a scene, like a PTA meeting, where they're trying to get his books banned. Yes. 
Yeah, and so it's basically seeds of Trump and Pence today, where just like the smallest thing is offensive. Yeah, but I mean that being said, uh, that was exactly what happened to Salinger, though. Like to be honest, like, right? They, I mean that's more they, that's more Reagan esque America. I mean, granted, there is Trump and Pence, but... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying Reagan. that the seeds of it are planted. Oh, yeah, right. but I mean, you know, they've been trying to ban books forever, man. Yeah, I mean, because Catch, Catch and Run came out at some point in the 50s. And then and, they killed John Lennon. Yeah, yeah, and like, all, Catch and Run comes out, and all of a sudden, everyone's all up in arms because the word crap is in it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, or the term pain in the ass. Yeah, and also just... It was like one of the first... Novel, not novels. I mean, aside, at post Great Depression America, I guess you could say, where it was the delusionment of the United States, but of why? But there was like no reason why, aside from the fact that the character is just a delusional, not delusional, but he's just delusioned. Uh, yeah. As a, uh, he's just he's delusioned with the United States, he's delusioned with the phonies, as opposed to like during the Great Depression, there was always something to be a little bit disillusioned with. But uh, because you know it's a Great Depression, but during the fifties, everybody had was like living this lie that nothing was wrong and. Here's this kid, Holden Caulfield, who's rich and has in New York City, and yet he's disillusioned. Why? Well, because he's just bipolar, mostly. Yeah. But um, yeah, that that was enough to cause enough uh, uh, banning of books. Yeah. Now on now on top of that, uh, you hear Ray reference an interview that Terrence made about wanting to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers. It just goes that at some point everybody wants to play baseball. I wanted to be a start. I wanted to have Derek Jeter's job at some point. Yeah, I think so too. I do. Yeah. I think it's also particularly interesting because the character is African American and who was the first team to allow for black people to play baseball. Brooklyn Dodgers. Dodgers. So I think it's. I think it's a little bit more touching that he actually was an African American character who mentioned yeah. the Dodgers in particular. But he's in fucking Boston, so it's like, why not the Red Sox? Well, because the Red Sox are the last team to integrate because of a bunch of racists. Okay. <laughs> And also, just just an added bonus, like Ray goes full sixties and trying to meet Terrence Mann, drives out to Boston in a Volkswagen we'll bus. It, yeah. So I, I just thought that was great. But then when you mentioned with like, the fifties, all that disillusionment, everything's okay, and all of a sudden it makes me think that Terrence Mann, he's jaded by the past, he's looking for what used to be, almost like Hunter S. Thompson when he wrote his his trashing of the nineteen eighties generation swine, where he says, yes. "Hey, you know what? Now back then we were too disillusioned." Now we're too self-indulgent. Let's go back to when everything was A-OK. Yes, I agree. I think, so, that's, I think that actually has something to do with uh, where we're at right now. I mean, we are super, super self-involved, and it's, it's, the same, it's the same thing, uh, where we have social media, selfies. Don't get me wrong. I love selfies. Yeah. But like, we're just too self-involved. It's very... Um, well, I can't remember the name of the writer now. Uh, well, what did he write? Uh, animal. No. Um, no, oh, Orwell? No, not Orwell. The other one. Huxley. Aldous Huxley. Huxley, yeah. you know. Who, who I've never read. Just oh, Huxley's whole theory was that we would be so self-involved and so caught up in all the bullshit because we'd have all the information that we wouldn't care about anything that's going on because we would be too numb to it as opposed to something being banned. He would say, he said things having to be banned, everything would be available to us and therefore we'd be numb to everything, uh, which causes disillusion in its own right. Uh, so, um, that just goes back to, uh, what you were saying about Hunter S. Thompson. Uh. One of my favorites, by the way. Oh, yeah, he's great. Yeah. So then, um, so then Terrence and Ray go, go to a Red Sox game based <sighs> off a, based off a dream. Yeah, that's why I know with the Red Sox, too. <laughs> anyway. So, I like that. They get, they each get a hot dog and a beer and the grand total, $7. I love it. 
That makes no sense. Yeah. So, it's actually ridiculous. So, so two hot dogs and two beers at Yankee Stadium, that's going to run you at least 30 bucks right I now. I think when I saw that movie, like, when I was watching the movie last night, I think I audibly went, that's bullshit. <laughs> that's <laughs> fucking stupid. Fuck you. <laughs> I, I definitely rewound it a couple times. Like, wait, seven bucks? What? Just to make sure I heard it right. Uh, oh, dog and a beer. Yeah, two. Seven bucks. Dude, I bought a dog and a beer once at uh, Yankee Stadium and then overdrafted. <laughs> I had like 30 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I accidentally overdrafted. Whoops. Yeah, and then I had to, yeah. Now, now here's the thing. You and I both hate the Boston Red Sox with a passion. Let's just put it out there. Oh, man. There, go, there goes our New England listener base. Hey, you know what? I'm not being biased. Yeah. Listen, listen throw some stuff at my Twitter, please. Somebody. Anybody, yeah. Uh, pay attention to my Twitter. Now on, now, on top of that, though, just that wide shot of Fenway Park before they put the monster seats in, before they put that giant scoreboard eyesore out in center field. Yes. I mean, there, there was just something beautiful about what the park used to be. Yes. Because I've been to Fenway Park. I, I don't know if you have. I have. Yeah, so I, I was there in 1998 when at the Hyannoma Garcia Parra, and I was there twice in 2006. I can't remember if the monster seats were there at that point. We'd have to look that up. But, uh, but then just driving away from Fenway Park, because they leave fairly early in the game. They're driving down Lansdowne Street, and they see the, that the famous Sitco sign, which was a staple of the view over the monster. Yes. And that, that's not there anymore, because they go there because they see on the sign... In the scoreboard, they both take a while to realize they both saw it. Uh, Archibald Moonlight Graham, yes, who was a real person, yes. had appeared in one game from the New York Giants, nineteen twenty-two. Never hit. Ne- yeah, not one at bat. Played three outs in the field. Played half an inning in the field. Ball never got out of the infield, and then he was done. Became a doctor in uh, Chisel, Minnesota. Now, for my money, this is my favorite part of the movie. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, because uh, oh, here, go ahead. No, I know you. Yeah. Just because the character of, of Moonlight Graham is this, played by the incredible Burt Lancaster. Now, keep in mind, we've lost lots of actors. We've lost Robin Williams. We've lost Rob Lawrence Olivier. Watching this last night, if I could have one actor back, I think it would be Burt Lancaster. Just because that voice and just, like, moving so slowly, almost like butter and just... Oh, God, it's, it's effortless. Hey, I'm not going to comment on that. I think if uh, he lived a very good, long life. Yeah, he uh, did. It's I'm not going to try to bring back... Bring him back, fine. Bring him back in hologram form, then. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah. Sorry, folks, my cat is on my notes, so we're going to have to get her off. Nah, okay. All right, okay. anyway... We still so, haven't gotten the cat off, by the way. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> get, off, get off, cat. <laughs> <laughs> moving, moving along. Oh, uh, yeah, I would just, just say, yeah, that, he plays that character with such... Um, such warmth it's actually like yeah. quite beautiful like yeah you watch it and he's just like okay with his scenario in life in fact he he relishes in it and that's actually quite inter- that's a quite interesting uh, uh you know um uh, that's a quite interesting what's the word um I don't want to say dichotomy because we already used it. Uh, but it's like it's, I mean, it's, his range as an actor, I think, is what you're talking about. No, no, no. I'm saying like the difference between him and Kevin Costner's character. The idea that Kevin Costner's character is like is like kind of really intense about what he's doing. Well, Doesn't just, really know why he's doing it. Well, not just that, but also like he lives. He can't get let go of the past, right? Like he's his whole game. His whole thing is bringing back the past, bringing back all these baseball players. He doesn't know why he's doing it. Uh, spoiler I don't care. Uh, because uh, he's trying to bring his dad back. He doesn't even realize he's doing it. I don't, think it's the, so, I don't think it's so much he's trying to bring his dad back. He's trying to make things right with him. Yes, yeah, so, but he can't, he can't, uh, he can't cope, he can't uh, make things right with the past, is what I'm trying to say. Like, that's yeah. his whole goal. goal. 
Um, Archie's character from the from the very moment he's asked to join the fi- to join the field of dreams, we're just gonna call it that. Uh, join that team. He's like, no, I'm good. I'm solid because I'm pretty happy. Yeah, sure. I yeah, feel I mean, bad we'll, about we'll, it. We'll get to that scene in a second, but just just the character of Moonlight Graham. It's like someone who's so universally beloved in this small town. Yes. Because you find out he's doing free medical care, making sure kids have their glasses, making sure they got milk for school, making sure they can go to school. Yeah. He's, he's buying his wife blue hats. They say, oh, he uh, when he died, they found um, in his office boxes of blue hats. I'm thinking, oh, okay, so on top of a doctor, he's a hoarder. <laughs> so, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Sorry, that, that was a very dark joke. But then let, let's go back to his game for just one second. So Archie Graham, he plays one half inning in one game after doing his time in the minors. And then he's done. So let's say that the baseball gods come down to you and say, hey, you can play one half inning with the Yankees. You can't bat. You're just going to be on the field for half an inning with, with the team. Now, Eddie, here's my question for you. Would you do it? I mean, you didn't even have to ask the question. I would have died already. <laughs> I would have been there. I mean, I because that's the thing, right? Like, I would, in a heartbeat, do that. Uh, but, you know, the sad part about it is, you know, I feel like if I did do that, I would feel very bad. Uh, reason why is because I would go on that field and then I would immediately realize this is not for me. I think part of me would be like, just the idea that that's a dream that you could have, as opposed to the reality of it and realizing you probably would suck at it. <laughs> like, I feel like that would make me a little disillusioned. Yeah. So that's uh, that that that's 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 the part that's the part that I kind of struggle with when I think of that question. I would, would I do it? Oh hell yeah! But like the question is, um, I would do it if somebody was like. You are 27 years old, and you're probably never going to have a major league baseball career. Do you want to do it? Just like give it a shot. I would say yes. But if I was like an 18 year old kid, and I was like, and they, you know, that was my whole goal in life was to become a baseball player, and then find out that I can only play like, you know, half an inning, that would suck. So yeah. it really is. I guess the question would have to be posed to like eight year old me. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And now we're gonna go. We're gonna pull up the scene where we're talking about uh, Dot Graham just getting that wish to come true. It's Burt Lancaster saying just what he really wants. So here we go. It was like having this close to your dreams. And I watched them brush past you like a stranger in a crowd. At the time, you don't think much of it. You know, we just don't recognize the most significant moments of our lives while they're happening. Back then, I thought, well, there'll be other days. I didn't realize that that was the only day. And now Ray can sell it. I want to ask you a question. What's so interesting about a half an inning that would make you come all the way from Iowa to talk to me about it 50 years after it happened? I didn't really know until just now, but I think it's to ask you if you could do anything you wanted. If you could have a a wish. And are you the kind of a man who could grant me that wish? Asking. Well, you know, I I never got to bat in the major leagues. I'd have liked to have that chance just once. To stare down a big league pitcher. To stare him down and just as he goes into his wind-up. Wait. Make him think you know something he does. That's what I wish for. Chance to squint at a sky so blue that it hurts your eyes just to look at it. To feel the tingle in your arm as you connect with the ball. That run the bases. Stretch your double into a triple and flop face first into third. Wrap your arms around the bag. That's my wish, Rick and Sullivan. 
So, Burt Lancaster in a tear-inducing scene, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, then you, later on, they, they pick up young Archie Graham, played by Frank Whaley on the way back to Iowa. Yeah. So, baseball magic finds a way. But also just the character of Doc Graham, just how great and respected he was within his community. It's just another way to show heroes come in many forms, not just baseball players. Yeah, I get that. I mean, like, because you remember the 2001 season where 9-11 happens... Every, like, it always comes back to 9-11. Yeah, th- this is the most political show it'll be, folks, I promise. We just went on a tirade about <laughs> Trump and Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, but the 2001 season, 9-11 happens, season's camps for a week, the Mets come back and they're wearing FDNY and NYPD hats. Yes, that's true. So and then Mike uh, Piazza hits a home run the game afterwards, I believe, right? Like, that's, like... Like yeah, he, he plays like the first game and then like hits a home run immediately after the, like the first game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, m- moving forward, so they they're finally back in Iowa. There's so many. They're pretty much having these like all star pickup games on the field. Um, I guess you could because they don't they don't really say that it's heaven. So I'm thinking, okay, so I guess it's just a step up from purgatory. So I mean, that's a very dark way of looking at it. I think they do say it's heaven. His his dad says it's heaven. Yeah, have it, right? uh, or he says, "What's heaven like?" Is there a heaven? Oh yeah, it's, it's where it's where every dream comes true. And then he like looks, and it's like kind of like he's like, "Is this right?" Isn't that like the line? Well, that that just goes in. Well, here's the thing. This this goes into my into my own personal definition of what heaven is because I because per, my my belief of heaven, ladies and gentlemen, is that every individual has their own concept of what heaven is, and at the end of life, we. If we feel so worthy, we go to that, and that's our new reality. I mean, I mean, am I spitballing here? Do I sound crazy? I don't know. I mean, you know, I think anytime you talk religion, you're always going to sound a little crazy. But that being yeah. not religion, but like you know, yeah, the afterlife. Yeah, beliefs. You always sound a little crazy. But yeah. I mean, it's okay, you know. But, as long but, as you're not, you but hey, even in this afterlife that these baseball players have, it just goes to show that sportsmanship is still a thing. Because Archer Graham, what's the first thing he does? Winks at Eddie Seacott gets <laughs> brushed back quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, so that was a great scene too. You, also, I did. I was watching that scene, and I just thought to myself, "Man, these guys held baseball bats weird." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like they're because, like, like nowadays, you know, we talk about the specific, like people talk about oh the specifics of certain stances, and like you know, but we have a very specific way of holding a bat, which is kind of like they hold it closer to the tilt, uh, the hilt. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of look, you know, but back then it looked like you had half the bat coming out of your, you know, your bottom hand. So I was watching that, I was like, man, this kid, this kid is not going to hit a baseball at all. And he does. No, he isn't. He does, though. Yeah. That's when I bat. Yeah, sack fly. So then, all right, so now we're we're going to fast forward towards the, towards the the third act and final, and final segment of the movie. At this point... Um, Ray's house. It's about to be foreclosed on. His brother-in-law has has <laughs> bought has bought the deed with his partners, and no one ever really explains. I just want to point out, no one ever really explains why his brother-in-law is such a piece of shit. Like, he starts off the movie not being such a piece of shit, and then by the end of it, like that that was the part that got me. I was like, like he only shows up in three scenes. Yeah, and then he's like not a huge piece of shit, kind of a piece of shit. Almost murders the daughter. <laughs> like, 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 the jump to the three of those is not really. It. I was saying to saying to Josh earlier, really, the movie has very little amounts of conflict. 
Uh, most of it's just a lot of philosophies and like the exploration of philosophy and like what is heaven and like baseball. It's pretty nice. Even in baseball, even as a baseball film, there's like no opposing teams either. So yeah. it's really just about like, you know, but it's nice. But it's literally just the one conflict is the brother-in-law comes in about an hour and 20 minutes into the movie. Like it's literally like yeah. the last 10 minutes of the movie comes yeah. in. And he's like, I'm going to fuck your shit up. And then you're just like, yeah, where did this come from? And, and that's that. He's saying like, hey, you, you better fucking sell to me. Or we're foreclosing on you. You're going to be homeless. Look, sell, sell to me. You could live here rent free. Uh, I think it's just because, I don't, I don't know why why it is. Because I think I think in the book, he's kind of just this kind of real estate dude all about town. Yeah, so they don't even mention that in the movie. Yeah. Somehow I mean, this guy I, gets I, a no, I, I haven't read the book in almost 20 years. Somehow so. this guy gets money. To spend on uh, no, no one was established first. Why no one established his brother had money to begin with? As far as we're concerned, Ray is the more successful person. Yeah. in this in this family. I jotted down a joke because the brother uh, Timothy Busfield, who don't you, say I brought, jotted down a joke. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I'm kidding. All right. Anyway, but yeah, people look up the actor Timothy Busfield if you haven't heard of him, especially in the '90s. Full head of red hair, big red beard. It just goes like South Park says, gingers have no souls. Oh, man, Josh. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I'll say it. We probably have, we, we have ginger listeners. Yeah, we do, and they're all wonderful people. We have all Yeah, but then, but then Karen, played by Gabby Hoffman, who I think she was only maybe maybe five when this movie came out. Yeah, and eight when she died. No, no I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> You're the worst, Eddie. Yeah, uh, you said gingers have no souls. Anyway, so... Um, but she's just saying, no, people will come and pay money to watch the game. And it's yeah. just, there's just this, this remarkable innocence about it. Yeah, and also, yeah, it's like, it, that's really the, the key, isn't it? The entire movie is like innocence. It's like innocence and guilt. Yeah. It's kind of like the two basic forms of this movie. It's always about exploring something that's not, that you haven't seen yet, uh, and learning about it, and then also feeling guilty about stuff, too. So Yeah, and but then uh, James Earl Jones, Terrence Mann, gives... The monologue of the film that I think sums it up in a nutshell. So, people will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have, and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. <laughs> Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Or they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick that I have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. 
It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. You're in a uh, great scene. Um... Yeah, you're at a loss for words yourself. No, I was going to say, you know that uh, Jackie Robinson was born in 1919? Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah, so born in the year of the White Sox scandal. The Black Sox scandal, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, but it just goes, like, people will come because baseball is a constant in so many people's lives because have you been to Newport, Rhode Island before? Why would I go there? Okay, well there, there you go. Because in this little nothing town, it's a, it's like a, it's a small resort town. Already just lost all the New England. <laughs> Already had them never, and we will never. Well, now we're gonna win them back because in in Newport, which is this small resort town in Rhode Island, it's they've got randomly there a baseball field, and I remember just passing through there with my family once. We were sitting down watching the semi-pro team play, and this elderly gentleman he said to my stepfather, "Hey, staying for the game, sir." So people would come and just charging a couple bucks to see to see this to see this nothing team just because it's baseball. And we sat there for a good twenty minutes. Oh yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah. I remember I joined um so I played I played I played, you know, baseball in high school. Yeah, what up? <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. I'm the man. Uh not really, I was terrible. Um but I remember I started playing because I just ended up watching when I was like twelve, I ended up watching these like Guys who are like 20, 21 playing. And they were like, yo, you want to you wanna join us? But I just sat there and watched them for like 35, 40 minutes. I had nothing to do. I probably had homework to take care of, but I was 12 years old. And then I was like, sure. And I ended up playing with those guys until I was uh, 18 and then I went to college. But it was like, I all you know, like I I don't know what compelled me to do it. I just sat there and watched it. This is like crummy game of the baseball where everybody's doing bad. There were no catchers. Uh, ground outs were just like it was like impressive if you got a double play. Yeah. But like just the idea of like I didn't know like we're just we're drawn to it. I don't know. It's something magic. I mean, even the fact that like no other sport represents the the concept of a father son dynamic like baseball. You know the idea of like you gotta go play catch with your dad. You know what I mean like it's yeah. Like if you didn't play catch with your dad, you're suddenly like some sort of like you got parental problems. Like, like, like what is wrong with you, man? You know what I mean? Like no other sport. You could you could say like like no other sport uh, 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 you know talk uh, is is represented represents like things like you know it's like America but also like family but also like it's it's like fair you know it's like weird and also it's probably I've been say, I've said this for a very long time baseball is like the least problematic sport out there I mean you can have your steroid scandals but I mean like no one's like killing anybody off the field. No it's, like the, it's like there's something special about playing baseball. It's almost. nice. Yeah, it's good. I mean, you, you know, even, even people, it, like, even, like, hey, you know, I'll bring it up. Even the Yankees are, like, the villains of baseball, right? But the Yankees also got people through the Great Depression, so maybe uh, you should yeah. segregate faster, Red Sox, huh? And even, and it, it's like he says, baseball, it's a constant, reminds, reminds us of what once was good. Because baseball's had its ups and downs. Because with the war, you had guys like Joe DiMaggio and Bob yeah. Feller going to serve their time. Yeah. Bob Feller later said that leaving baseball for a couple of years and serving in the Marines was the best decision he made. Yeah, meanwhile, then you have women's leagues that encourage women to like, go out there and start yeah. their own sports. and spawn I another mean, great movie league of their own. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, and then that in turn creates the rise of... Uh, women's leagues, you know, uh, the NBA, like, since the NBA hadn't even existed yet, but, like, 
the idea of like, hey, women can do this too. You know what I mean? Like, which was an incomplete idea back in 1940s because that's just America, you know? But nowadays, yeah. you know, like it, it's, it's weird. You know, it's, it's just weird. I don't know. Yeah, and then there's the climax of the movie where Karen falls off the back, is kind of passed out, and then all of a sudden Moonlight Graham walks around and all of a sudden he's Doc Graham again because he crosses off the field onto the gravel. Yeah. Which, it kind of goes to that old baseball uh, superstition, don't cross, don't step on the line. Yeah, especially in the middle of the game. Yeah, or else I was lost. I mean, uh, New York Mets, former New York Mets pitcher and current, I think he's on the Nationals right now, Oliver Perez, he um, he jumps over the line every time. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, hey, don't do not do that or else all's going to be lost. And then it just goes to show the absolute saint that Dot Graham is. Just to save uh, save Karen's life, crosses the line, He and at that point said, hey, you walk off the field like that, you can't go back. You're done. Yeah. And it's just like, hey, you know what? I had my day in the sun in the field. My life is all about helping others. Yeah. It's just, all about what you give back. You know what I just wanted to say? It just goes back to his original philosophy, which was, hey, this, you know, like, um, like the idea of like, he well, his original philosophy in the beginning of the movie before he gets taken off was, uh, look, hey, you know, I didn't fulfill my dream 100%, but... That's the craziness about life. It's great, and you should never really look back about these things. And lo and behold, he looks back for a little bit, but then he. But it's like as if the universe predetermined that. Had Doc, had they not done Doc to begin with, they probably still would have watched baseball anyway. Yeah, for sure. And then his daughter would have died, and then his brother-in-law would have felt bad, probably gone to jail, and all would have been lost. So it's like the universe determined that had that they needed Doc. I guess that's really what it is. It's like right, if it hadn't been for Doc then his brother would have never, like, bailed on the one conflict that the movie has. Yeah. So and, like, and, and here's the kicker. Mark, the, the brother-in-law, he can't see anything that's happening all of a sudden. Doc Graham walks off the field, all of a sudden he can see. Yeah, and he just goes, where do all these baseball players come from? And immediately reverting back to the first version of Mark, which is, <laughs> why are you not an asshole? Because yeah. he almost kills the daughter, and there's no repercussions whatsoever for yeah. this orange-haired man. Yeah, and let, let's talk about the cornfield for a hot second, because we, we don't have a lot of time left. The, um, the, the cornfield, it's like the path back to the other side. How many other times in media has the cornfield just been... A bad place. Yeah, like Children of the Corn, and it's endless sequels. That Twilight Zone episode, hey... Oh, the cornfield. Yeah, watch out, or go to the cornfield. And here, it's like, it's got more of a positive vibe, even though it's, it's, it's like, it's death. yeah. Yeah, I mean, J. Uh, Terrence Mann goes through it at the end. Whether or not he comes back is unknown because uh, you know. Ham- and he's also kind of excited about it. I mean, I'm pretty sure he does come back. Unless he, I mean, you know, we were talking about it. Like they never explain whether or not he dies. I think it just has to do with the fact that he's just like, you know, an older dude, and he just kind of was like, "This is a chance to explore and not feel yeah. so bad about this." And then we find out when Bush comes to shove, it's all about helping a lost soul rest in peace. Yeah, you mean the dead? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Johnny Kinsella. And um, the the only fucking Yankee in the movie. Yeah. The only one. The only Yankee in the movie. The only one. And he's so taking this very personally, so as you maybe, can So maybe, maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, go fuck yourself, Red Sox fans, okay? Because the Yankees, the whole point was to make the Yankees We've happy. already cursed more than I'd like on this podcast. Sorry. <laughs> So we talk about the Red Sox, and it's just it's just the whole thing. Sorry. Yeah, and then and then there's just that. We can more... bleep. We can bleep it out later. 
Nah, nah, I'm not worried about it. Hey, you know what? If Gilbert Godfrey can curse, so can we, right? Anyway. Um, it, so, and then there's just that last shot of father and son having that catch. Yeah. And the car is driving up, and, and they're saying, hey, people are going to come because... Everything works out it's not, And not just that, because it's baseball. And baseball in Iowa, no less, because, yeah, Iowa's got... <laughs> they don't the, have a team. Well, they got the AAA affiliate of the Cubs. Uh, the yeah, I, yeah the Iowa Reagan? Cubs. Yeah, oh. Ronald Reagan used to call games for them. Ronald Reagan? Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, but Iowa, yeah, because, like, because, uh, I, I mean, the Cubs are, I guess, are the closest team in proximity, depending on where you live. Well, they do kind of represent, like, the Cubs and the White Sox sort of represent the Midwest for baseball, not just... Well, they got the Twins and the Brewers, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, and this movie wound up actually being nominated for Best Picture. Was it? Yeah, it was nominated for a few awards. So I don't really know what wins what uh, in the Academy Awards uh, until like 92. That, that's better than me because I can't even, I don't even remember what won Best Picture last year. Last year was, oh wait, who won Best Actor and I can tell you who won Best Picture. Oh, that was Moonlight. Oh yeah, Moonlight, that's right. Still haven't seen it. Uh, it's good. I liked it. I liked uh, it a lot. But yeah, I think, it, it, I think it's gonna be weird if you watch it though. With that, I had I watched it in theaters and it was great. But like watching it at home, I heard is like it takes a. But in most movies, like if you watch it at home, it's gonna take away from it. Yeah, but it's nominated for three Academy Awards: Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score by James Horner of you know Titanic and uh, Avatar. Who won Best Picture that year? That's what I'm look, trying to look up. Let's look up the 19, uh, 1990s, 1990 uh, Academy Awards. Yeah, I'm pulling that up. All right, no uh, shot, no awards. Forrest Gump, the best Academy Awards is ninety four. Definitely up there, yeah. That's Shawshank, Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, and might have just been three of those actually. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So moving forward, it was the sixty second annual Academy Awards. Dang. Best picture that year. My cousin Vinny. No. <laughs> I wish. I love that movie. I mean, no, alright, no, best picture that year was Driving Miss Daisy. Oh! Which I've yeah. never seen. What? Yeah. Okay. I've gotta watch that. Yeah, but also nominated that year, you had Born the Fourth of July, Dead Poet Society, and uh, Field of Dreams, and My Left Foot with Daniel Day-Lewis, oddly enough. He won Best Actor for that movie. Yes, he did. It was at the first of his three Oscars. Yeah, and Field of Dreams, I feel like there's something we're missing about this, because there was... No, no. Oh, wait. Sorry, yes, you're right. Yeah. Last, uh, speaking of Academy Awards, Kevin Costner won the Academy Award for Dance with the Wolves. Yeah, Not and here's the crazy part. That baseball field, that wasn't a soundstage. They actually went to a farm in Dyersville, Iowa. Studio builds the baseball diamond, and the family that owns the farm keeps the field. That's cool. And, and as of 2012, you could still go there to the field and play baseball as you please. That sounds pretty cool. Road I- trip? No. <laughs> I'm not going to Iowa. You're not making me go to Iowa. No, I'd go. Actually, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I mean, you drive, because I can't drive. <laughs> Neither can I. Oh, what? Oh. Fly trip? Flying? Sure, yay. All right. I do, uh, actually, but I did watch this movie and immediately was like, I'm going to go play baseball afterwards. I, that's, like, my first thought after watching this movie was, I do want to go play some baseball immediately. Um, but I don't have my baseball glove anymore, so I have to go buy a baseball glove. Then I'm going to go play baseball. And then it will snow. Snow cold. It will snow hard. Now, here's an interesting bit of trivia. Um, although his character delivers the movie signature speech praising baseball, in real life, James Earl Jones hates baseball. Why? I don't know. What's wrong with him? 
Can you, is there a way to look up why he hates baseball? Yeah, there is, but I don't want to get into it right now. Oh. Tom Hanks was offered the role of Ray Kinsella. Turned it down. I mean, it's not like Tom Hanks really... Like, Tom Hanks... Is he, you know there yeah. are certain actors who are like, you really shouldn't have turned that down, Keanu Reeves? Um, <laughs> but then you're like... But Tom Hanks is one of those actors. Like, Tom Hanks is like one of those actors where it's like... Tom Hanks has done just... Just, 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 just good stuff. Just good stuff. Except for Sully. Yeah, I didn't see Sully. And the Terminal. You can find me on that one. (laughs) But I mean, like, oh, Tom Hanks turned it down. Okay, he did Philadelphia, like, a year earlier. Do you think he really needed baseball? uh, No, 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 no. Philadelphia came after this. Is that 91? 91, 92, something like that. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Anyway, Forrest Gump was a year later. Yeah. Anyway, well, let's wrap this up. On the whole, I feel of dreams. I want. I remember watching this with my dad. It only reaffirmed our love of baseball that we bonded over quite a bit. Uh, great movie. I'd I'd recommend it again and again and again. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I'd recommend it too. I mean, if you haven't seen it already, I mean, you should definitely check it out. Um, yeah. If you have seen it, then this podcast makes sense. Um, <laughs> if you haven't, then uh, just. Oh my god, you should have stopped listening a while ago when I said the part about the dad. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I saw it. I mean, I, what I love about it has very little amounts of conflict. It's just a very pleasant, nice movie. It, moves, it moves very quickly. It moves very quickly. It's an hour, 49 minutes long. It feels like 45 minutes. And also, it's just, you know, even even the baseballness of it all, it's like, it, it, the, even, there's like none of that, like, baseball is life kind of like moments or anything like that where it's just you know like when well, you watch it's, a typical it's like sports I, movie it's like it's I said at the beginning it's a baseball movie that's not really a baseball movie it's so much more than that yeah it's just it's, it's like about self discovery it's yeah, about like learning so from your mistakes doing it through baseball which you know is it, nice uh, yeah like I think that's why I like this movie but I will like turn down most football movies because it's always like the climax is the football game and it's like in base, but who? But in this movie, the climax is just a little girl almost dies, and then a guy becomes an old man, becomes a doctor. Turns out there's a hot dog, and then suddenly the brother can see the the ghost. Realizes no, no, no. Baseball. There's something special about here. This isn't just like holding on to a dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that was the first episode of Cinemania with the exclamation point with uh, JB and Eddie. Uh, Eddie, you want to give your uh, give your Twitter information before real fast? Oh yeah, so it's just Eddie underscore Doug. Uh, Twitter, hello, McFly. Sorry, I just, <laughs> he's I, playing with the mic. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at JB's World three two eight six. We will see you guys on uh, Sunday night, and we'll probably go up on Monday with our WWE No Mercy reaction. So, uh, catch you later, folks. Thanks for listening. Adios.